Welcome to our Rockcast. Today we join Pastor Richard Beasley discussing the topic of hope. The Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. This is the third week in the road that we're going to deal with hope. Um, never in my life have I seen such a time that the church, the world and the church, but even in the church, needs to deal with the word hope. So many people are giving up, throwing in the towel. Suicide is at an all-time high. As you've heard me mention, 200 churches a week closes their doors. And a high percentage of those preachers quit the ministry. We need to be revived and we need to know that we are a prisoner of hope. So with that said, I also want to make this announcement I forgot to do earlier. What's, I uh, don't have my phone. My phone must be in my office. November 5th, I believe it is. It's a Monday night. Yep, November 5th, Monday night. Uh, I've been asked to preach a revival service at Spirit of Life Church in Clinton at 7 o'clock. And our praise team will be doing the music that night. So I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that as well. Be praying for that service. Um, that God would not only use me in preaching the word, but use the, the praise team as well. But all right, let's get into the word of the Lord. Zechariah, we're going Old Testament. It's two books prior to Matthew. Zechariah and Malachi and Matthew. So go to Matthew, go back two books. Zechariah chapter 9. And verse number 12, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word in honor of his word, I want to say welcome to the Redemption Outreach Center, The Rock. Um, if you're visitors here, we have some visitors with us today. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. We may be a little different, but we're God's people. We're a people that understand that life happens and that it's, we're not always perfect. But we serve a God of mercy and of grace and that he doesn't give us a license. Grace doesn't give us a, life, a license to sin, but grace gives us the ability to bow our hearts and ask God for mercy. And so we're thankful that you're here today. And let's get into the word of God. We've been talking about hope, and I want to continue with that today. Zechariah 9, verse number 12, and I'm going to read from the King James today. It says, Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope, even Today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today I declare I will render double unto you, unto thee. King James Version. Would you pray for me, Father? Let your will be done. I ask God that your Holy Ghost would help us. I need you, Holy Spirit, to help me to preach the word. God, and use the word that will touch our hearts to change our lives for the glory of God. God, I just ask that you bring back to my mind, my remembrance, Holy Spirit, the things that you've spoken and the things that I have studied. God, I give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. I pray for clarity of speech, thought, and a purpose. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Zechariah. Not many people talk about Zechariah. But I want to give you a little bit of exegetical work on Zechariah. Give you a little background. Basically, the book of Zechariah can be broken into two parts. 1 through 8 and 9 through 14. Zechariah is a book in two parts. And uh, in chapters 1 through 8 is the account of night visions that Zechariah has. He has a total of eight visions. 
and chapters one through eight deal with the visions that he had. And, and, and that was between the year 5020 and 518 BC. And then you have chapters 19 through 14 are the prophecies that God, of God's judgment and his coming kingdom. Although the book of Zechariah is in two distinct halves, it's always good to even look at Zechariah as a whole. You have the visions and the prophecies, and then you have the judgment of God and God's kingdom being established. Although the book of Zechariah, uh, uh, like I said, are in two distinct halves, it's always good to look at it as a whole. The setting of Zechariah's prophecies are this. The Persian Emperor Cyrus the Great has conquered Babylon. That's what's happened. When you get to Zechariah, uh, uh, the, the Persian Emperor Cyrus the Great has conquered Babylon. He has passed a decree that is the very first year of his reign, allowing all the Babylonians uh, captives to return home. So, much unlike our society now, that time was a great time of politician and, 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 and even the government because he decreed that everybody that's held captive turn, return to your home. Uh, he encouraged nations to rebuild their temples and their gods. Even though he didn't specify which ones, he did encourage people that had been taken away in captivity to return back and to rebuild their faith, rebuild the temples of their gods. No returning group had been more delighted with their newfound political and religious freedom than the Jews at this time. Zerubbabel, in, in living, uh, a living heir of King David, has led the return of the Jews back. The foundations of the temple have been laid, but the work is at a standstill now when you get to Zechariah. They started to rebuild the temple and they have the foundation, but now it's at a standstill. Perhaps the people can already see the new temple, temple will never and it will never compare to the glory of the temple that Solomon built. But Zechariah prophesies that God will be the glory of this restored temple. We know little about Zechariah, but he prophesies, uh, um, his prophecies are dated around the same times of those of Haggai. Like Haggai, he encourages the community of returned exiles as they try to rebuild their ruined lives. So understand, the context of this scripture that I read to you today are God's people that have been led away in captivity. They are being told to return back to their stronghold, back to their homes, Jerusalem or Zion, as some commentaries believe, uh, call it. They, they return and they rebuild their ruined lives. Why am I saying that? I, you need to understand that all of this to understand when he said that we are a prisoner or that they are prisoner of hope. He's talking to a people that have been held captive and now for the first time the politicians and the leaders of the, that time said go back and gave them permission to leave captivity and to begin to rebuild their lives. And so when you look at it, the destruction of Israel's enemies are talked about in verses 1 through 17 of chapter 9. In the arrival of Zion's king, God declares that he will overthrow the cities of the Philistines, which have so long been the, uh, the enemies of Israel. Alexander the Great will conquer this area in 332 B.C. and the Philistines will disappear from history. In fact, they will merge with the Jews and Palestine will be named after them. Zechariah proclaims the arrival of Zion's king. 
he echoes the joy of Zephaniah's prophecy in 630 B.C. The true heir of David approaches in peace instead of a mighty war horse, and he prophesies this, and this is where we're going to bring it together. He rides a gentle donkey. God will do away with the weapons of war and establish a worldwide kingdom of peace. This is what the prophecy of Zechariah is, is that, hey, that, that God is going to do away with the weapons of warfare and he's going to bring a kingdom of peace and he's not going to be riding a war horse. If those Bible readers, you'll understand that in John's gospel and the gospels that it comes to pass, particularly in John 12, 14 through 15, when it says that the Messiah shall come in riding on a donkey. The chapter closes with God giving his people victory over all of their enemies, making them safe in his flock. How many is glad to be in the flock of God? So Zechariah, in the middle of this, and the middle of his visions that God's given him, the people are returning from captivity. They're encouraged to rebuild the temple. They start to rebuild it, and the foundation's laid, but it looks nothing. The glory of it is nothing like that of Solomon's temple, but it's because Zechariah prophesies and tells them it's not going to be the same temple. But it's going to be a temple filled with the glory of God. And then he begins to prophesy that the, the war horse, that they won't come in riding on war horses, but there'll be a kingdom of peace set up and he'll come in riding on a donkey. Of course, prophesying of the Messiah coming, Jesus. But in the middle of this, you have where he says, you are prisoners of hope. And that's what I'd like to deal with today. A prisoner of hope. I don't want you to raise your hand, but do you, we really understand or have we ever been in prison before? Um, I, I want to say this, that I'm blessed in my past life, my old man, that I never got caught. Because if I did, I'd still be in prison. But I want to say that not only a physical prison, but we have prisons that we put ourselves in, in our minds. But in this text, the Bible telling, is telling us that the people of God, they are prisoners of hope. I want to deal with that, but before I do, let's look at Hebrews 6, 18 through 19. It says that there are two immutable things in which that is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for our refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast. Colossians says it like this in 127, to whom God had made known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now it's all coming together. Zechariah is prophesying that the people of God, they are prisoners of hope. And there's coming a kingdom that's going to set up in peace where there'll be no more war and there'll be none of this. And they, they are to return to Zion. They are to return to their home, to Jerusalem, the city of God, the city that God protects. And I don't know about you today, but that gets me excited when I think about the coming, the second coming of the Lord and the kingdom of God being set up in the city that's going to come and that we're going to reign with Christ forevermore. I am bound by that hope. What does it mean to be a prisoner of hope? A prisoner of hope is I am bound by this hope. I cannot get away from it. 
I cannot get away that no matter how hard this life may get and how bad the storms may be in this life, I cannot forget that I am bound by the hope of glory. Jesus Christ in us, in you, the hope of our glory, the anchor of our souls. Fear and hope have to do with future things, but they're totally different. Fear and hope have to deal with future things, but they're total opposites. They're contradictory to each other. See, fear is the expectation that something's going to happen bad, that something bad is about to happen. Hope is the opposite. It's the hope, the expectation that something good is going to happen. It's total opposites, and it has to deal with the future. See, fear is the apprehension of future evil, and hope is the anticipation of future good. Hope, as I have said last week and the week prior, hope is the confident expectation that there's going to be a brighter tomorrow. But yet, as you've heard me say many times, sometimes hell still breaks loose in our lives, no matter what. The devil, as he tried with Job, tried to condition him that this is how life is going to be. The enemy has not, the Bible tells us that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. He is not coming up with new tricks. He's got one bag and one bag of treat, of tricks or treat or whatever you want to call it. And he's doing the same thing today as he was in the past. But the people have got, of God have lost their ability to understand that we are prisoners of this hope and that it's not I that liveth, but it's Christ that liveth in me. He is our hope of glory. But the devil tries to get us to think because what we experience conditions us to how we feel and what we believe. If you're hot, you go and turn on the AC. If you're cold, you go and turn on the heat. If you walk in your house and it's dark, you turn on a switch. Things that react that we react to conditions us to our reactions. In other words, our surroundings make us react. And so unfortunately what's happened in the church world and in and, and, and God's kingdom is the people of God have forgotten their hope and that they're a prisoner of their hope. And Job told us, and we talked about it for two weeks, that there's hope for a tree that if it be cut down, that even if the roots are dead and dried up in the ground, that at the scent of water, and I know I didn't preach the last part of it, but I'm going to go revisit that in weeks to come. Because I don't think we're ready yet to understand the importance of what he means at the scent of water. Last Wednesday night, we began to talk about, we continued talking about the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and, and how there's different types of tongues. And, and, and what I'm hoping and what I'm believing God for is that it will stir a hunger in all of our lives to experience God one more time that it 
like we never have before. That something will spark in our lives right here in our bellies that'll take our dried deadness and the wind and the breath of God would come in and blow out the deadness out of our lives and the fear out of our lives that produces death and that hope will be restored in the people of God that when they look into the city, amen, there's a city of set upon a hill that cannot be hid, amen, and our redemption's drawing nigh. I'm glad today that the hope that I have won't let me give up. The hope that I have will not allow me to quit. The hope that I have will not allow me to say that the, the, the best years are behind us, but this hope that we have says that the tomorrow is better than today, and there's a hope uh, for something more than we've never had before. But God, I'm getting ahead of myself, but according to Habakkuk, there's a hiding of God's power, meaning that there's a power that God has that the devil has not yet seen, nor the church. But I believe before the rapture that the latter and the former are going to come together, and there's going to be a power revealed to the people of God that have been led in captivity, but they come back to the city of God and they hope for a kingdom of peace. That's my message. That's my message and everything right there. That's what that text means. That the people of God will come back and they'll begin to hope again. That they'll go back to where they were born from. They've been led away from where they were born. Go back, talking about spirits, go back to where you've been born again. And hope, and hope for a kingdom of peace. Hope for a time that no matter all hell's breaking loose, that there's joy unspeakable and full of glory, and that there's peace that passes all understanding. I'm still in my foundation introduction, but I've got to let somebody know before you go ahead and check out in this service that God is speaking to our hearts that it's not time to sit soaking sour, but it's time to stand upright. And after you've done all that you've known to do to stand, stand therefore and see the salvation of God. For God said, I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you but he will be with us until the very end and if God is for us then tell me who can be against us I don't care if the lights are turned off God said he is the light I don't care if the doctor says there's no hope Jesus said he is the hope of glory I got to get this wrapped up together here before it doesn't make sense anymore the devil tries to condition us to experience hell and high water, trouble and trial. Because what we experience conditions us to think that this is just how it's going to be. Say, no, no, my pastor, that's, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I hope that we don't believe that. But what did you expect walking through these back doors this morning? Did you expect any at all? that God would change things up and that God himself with his awesome sovereignty and power and glory would speak to your heart and change your life forever? Or did you expect to bring a change of clothes, eat some pizza and go to Hub's Corn Maze with the kids? Is there any room 
for the hope of our glory to have his way in our lives in a time where it seems like we've constricted God altogether. You see, we talked about it for the last two weeks. Job got report after report after report trying to condition him that this is how it's going to be. I am sick and tired of coming to church and expecting that this is just how it's going to be. I'm always going to be struggling. I'm always going to be broke. I'm always going to be working to just try to make ends meet. I'm always going to struggle with my kids. I'm always going to... No, the devil is a liar. God, this two immutable things that I know that God... God is not man that he should lie. You see, we know he got total four reports and all of them bad, but he ripped his mantle, he ripped his clothes and said, naked came I in, naked will I leave, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, he neither charged God foolishly nor sinned. And then what happened at the end of Job's life? God gave him double. Zachariah said this... You prisoners of hope, I will render double unto thee. <laughs> you see, I don't know about you, but I'm not talking about physical numbers or anything else, but I want joy. <laughs> I feel the old school coming out of me, Pastor Don, pray for me. I got my jeans on for the first time and everything, but I, I feel a little bit of the old school coming out. We've said it, Job 13 and 15 says this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We don't have that mentality no more. And if we don't have that mentality no more, don't sit there and say that I'm a prisoner of hope. We even talked about Jeremiah 17 when it said blessed. Anybody want to be blessed? Raise your hand. Amen. I'm not talking about standing in the lotto ticket line either. I'm talking about being really blessed. Lord Jesus, I done said it, didn't I? <laughs> Y'all seen the picture? Going on social network, hundreds of people lined up to buy a lotto ticket. There's two windows. One's lotto ticket and the other's paying ties. There's one in paying ties and there's hundreds in the other. You see, but no, no, I, I, I'm joking somewhat, but this is what I wanted to tell you, okay? What we've got, gotten to in the church world today is it's so easy to believe the world for our blessings than to believe God for our blessings. You know, and yeah, hey, if somebody wants to go out there and win the lotto and pay their tithes to our church where we can build a building, the Bible tells me the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. I will gladly receive it. But I also know that if the church will come together and believe God and walk by faith, the building will be built as well. Yeah. It's just which way you want to go. Why? Because we are a prisoner of that hope. I'm glad that God loves me. Now, do you really understand that? I'm glad that he loves me for who I am. All of my imperfections, and you know how many I got. He loves me anyway. He tells me every week, I love you and I've called you. I've placed my spirit in you. <laughs> Not to build your kingdom, but to further the kingdom of peace that Zechariah prophesied of. That kingdom of God here on earth 
I, I, Paul, y'all know Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament and he did most of it in the bottom of a jail cell. And when he wrote 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul said this, Be not therefore ashamed of this testimony of our Lord, nor me his prisoner. See, many times we read that. That's 2 Timothy 1.8. We read that because we're used to Paul being imprisoned. But that's not what he's talking about. Notice the wording of it. He said... Be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. You see, if we take that one word, his, out, then it implies that Paul's talking about himself being imprisoned for preaching the gospel. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul said, nor me, his prisoner. In other words, uh, 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 help me, help me. I need God's help. Implying he'd been locked up most of his Christian life. He knew what it was like to be imprisoned and thrown in a jail cell and bound up with chains. He knew what it was like to be in prison, but yet he, he said these words, I am a prisoner of Christ. I'm a prisoner. In other words, I am bound up with Christ. I am a prisoner of Christ. I can't get away from it. Even though they slash me and cut my back open and throw me into the darkest dungeon, I cannot stop because I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm a son or a daughter of God. I am a prisoner of hope. He won't let me won't let me get away from it I'm constrained by it I am bound by this hope that I have I can't run from it nor can I hide from it my hope will not let me give up now I came too far our first years of marriage and Graham's here today we get went through a rough patch and we had to live in their basement We've, been, we've all been through tough times. But there's something that will not let me stop. Amy and I ministering to a ministry couple last night. Letting them know that it's not over yet. There's always hope. There's always hope. There's always hope for a brighter tomorrow. Hope won't let me give up on you. So I hope you don't give up on me. More than that, I hope you don't give up on God. Because God will not give up on us. I've come too far. I've gone through too much to give up now. I know we don't have the same testimony as everybody else. But I can tell you, I have came too far to give up now. The devil would like nothing more than for us to give up. He would love nothing more for us to just quit coming to church and to quit being faithful to God and to God's house and to God's ministry. When all we, we need to remember that it takes all of us to be the church. 
Amen. We are the body of Christ. We are the members, the members of one body, many members having different functions, as Paul says, but we're all the member of one body, but some have been uh, have been cut off or some feel like there's no hope. Amen. And you got confusion and you got confusion and division within the body and the body does not know what to do, but God's got us on track to restore the joy of our salvation. Amen. And to revive us again and to get us to understand that no matter what we go through in life, there's always going to be that hope of glory. That hope that will not let me give up. Look, I cried myself to sleep too many times to stop now. Can I just go on this rabbit trail and be real with you? I prayed for you too much to give up on you now. Have you prayed for something? Have you sought God for something? Maybe days, weeks, years? Then why in the world would you give up now? God has shown himself true time and time and time again. I can't give up now. I've got hope in a hopeless world. <laughs> I've got joy in a joyous, joyless world. I'm going to start making my own words up. You go to sleep on me. <laughs> Second Corinthians says this. Powerful scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to this. Verses 8 and 9. We are troubled on every side. Yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. We are cut down like that tree, but we've got hope. See, I got an old message too. Amy, remember she used to. <laughs> Everywhere I went, I wanted to preach that thing and she'd get on me. You need to preach something else. You need to, and, and, and maybe some of the LWM people remember that I preached it everywhere I went. And it was, I may be down, but I'm not out. You know why I preached that so much? Because I felt like I was down and I was reminding myself every day that I wasn't out yet. We want new revelation and new things and new theology and all. No, what we need is what the word of God says and that is a revelation that he's still God, he's still in control and I'm his and he's mine and I, I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm a prisoner and I'm bound by this hope that I have in Christ. It's not I that liveth, but it's Christ that liveth in me. Therefore, amen, in Thessalonians it says that the dead in Christ shall be raised first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet the Lord in the air to forever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. See, a people that have no hope, they're already dead. If if you someone that has that does not have hope, they're already they're already dead. You see, I've been knocked down before, but I'm not out. And you can be locked up, but not locked out. We know somebody right now that has been imprisoned, but given their heart to the Lord. You can't lock God out. And we can be knocked down at times, but that doesn't mean that it's over. 
the fight is fixed we win at the end amen we still win those that keep their trust in the Lord see my hope that I have won't let me sin either I still got five minutes <laughs> somebody full of hope they're full of holiness too because the hope that I have won't let me sin. Because there's no way I want to get rid of the hope that I have. Hope makes me believe that he'll do what he said he would do. This hope that I have, I refuse to keep anything back. I'm going on with Jesus. You see, the hope that I have, I've got something the doctor can't give you. I've got something that the judge can't even decide. I've got something that the lawyer cannot even persuade. I've got something that the family, amen, the headstrong family can't even push me out. I've got something that even though if the church decides as a whole not to grow, I can go somewhere else and grow. Because this hope is not confined by you, by this building, by me, by my wife, or anybody else. This hope is everywhere. Even though I'm, con I I'm constrained and I'm bound up by this hope, it means that I am separated for the use of the kingdom of God and it will not let me give up. And even though the world says that there's no hope, you know, they said that I was just going to be a drunkard, a drug head, and I was for a while, but then God got a hold of me. And you heard my, some of my testimony the other week, even when I wasn't even going to church, got in an accident. Amen. But God saved me. God saved me from gunfire. God saved me from all kinds of things. Saved me from myself. And here in the last seven years, he saved me from church folk. put my hand in my pocket there amen sometimes we have to be saved from those that we love the most my hope will not let me sin my hope that I have I refuse to keep back I'm going on with Jesus here's my closing Philippians 1 and 6 says this being confident of this very thing that he that begun the good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ the hope that we have is more than enough tell your neighbor hope is more than enough you say, well, pastor, you don't understand. They're about to cut my lights off. They're about to repossess my home or my vehicle. Or the doctor said this. Listen, yes, I do understand. I understand that the devil is a liar. And I don't care what this world has to say. As long as I've got hope, then I've got yes. Because God's blessing all is yeah and amen. Yes and amen. Amen. We've got to get up and shake ourselves off from the things of this world and shake our problems and our enemies off. God will put us in a situation to give us revelation. Go ahead and tweet that somebody. God will give, put us in a situation to give us revelation. He said that he would give us double for our trouble. Tweet that one too. He said he'll give us double for our trouble because he said we are a prisoner of, of hope and I will render double unto you. He said I'd give you double for your trouble. 
I don't know about you, but can you use double blessings? Could you, I know we all could use double joy. Amen. The, the, you know what? The church should be the happiest people on earth. And you know what? We're happier than the crackhead. We're happier than the drunkard at the bar. Every day of our lives. Amen. People shouldn't have to go to other places to receive happiness. We are happy. Nudge your neighbor and say, I'm happy even though I don't look like it. I'm happy. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. All right. He said, I'll give double unto thee. 2 Kings 2 and 9. I'm closing. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what, you, what I shall do for thee before I'm taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. The prophet got double for staying with the man of God. And it's documented that he did exactly double the miracles than the prophet did. The widow woman got what she needed when she believed God. Job got double for his trouble. And Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we may ask or even think. Look, I shouldn't even have read that scripture. Because we can't even comprehend and get that scripture until we can believe for what we need now. <laughs> Will you stand to your feet with me? We got to believe God now for what we have need of now. And then when we did that, he said, now I want you to understand that I'm, I want to give you something abundantly, exceedingly, more than you can even imagine. Listen. Can you imagine getting up every morning having so much joy that you're actually excited for that day? Amy says she needs some of that in the name of Jesus. I need some of that in the name of Jesus. We're going to have to anoint our own selves. Double for your trouble. Double for your trouble. I'm just trying to figure out the best way to close this thing out because I still feel that there may be some on that fence line that's not really understanding this word hope and I have preached hope for three weeks but it's hard it's hard when you talk to people that say that they're saved and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ but when you look in their eyes all you see is someone that's dead on the inside and they've lost their hope and they've lost their ability to be happy and they even can get to the point of losing their desire to be alive why is that even in the church when the people of God we're prisoners of hope but sometimes things happen and we get hey y'all know me I, I battled with it years ago God delivered me and sometimes I, 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 I listen I won't, don't want you to think that I'm crazy and all this other stuff you know I'm crazy for Jesus but and I don't mean that derogatively at all but Mondays are the worst days I call Debbie every week and she'll tell you on Monday but we got a joke going I quit she says no you can't quit in the last couple weeks when I do it she says nope You've been preaching hope. I said, well, Miss Debbie, at least somebody's listening. 
but it's the truth. When the shout, the goosebumps, and everything else is gone, when we're by ourselves, that's when you'll truly figure out or not if you have that hope. And I'm trying to remind us that that's when we have it the most. When we're imprisoned by it, we're captured by it, we're bound by it. This hope will not let me give up. And this hope won't let me give up on you either. And won't let me give up on my lost family. Won't let me give up on this community. Won't let me give up on it. And I hope that you won't let it give up on you. That you won't give up. Father, in Jesus' name, I love you, Lord, and I thank you. I thank you. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. Be sure to check out more episodes on SoundCloud.com or on the Apple Podcast app. God bless.